verified. Stand by. Hello, this is Ben Gillette. The possibility exists that if I were to actually listen to the lackadaisical Microcubicularist podcast featuring host Jordan Maywood, I would potentially enjoy it. A ringing endorsement. Potentially enjoy this episode, which will start after the other half of my magical comedy duo, Teller, gives us a countdown. Take it away, Teller. Hello, welcome to the Liberal Cube. My name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the Lackadaisical Liberal Cubicularist. Today, my friends, is Book Book Wednesday. When you tell your friends about Book Book Wednesday, and I know you goddamn well are going to, you're going to want to hit those B's, both in Book and Book Wednesday, thusly. Book Book Wednesday. That's enough hijinks for one day. What I should say, and that rhymed, is that there will be spoilers. I uh, do not censor myself when talking of anything, books included. So, uh, I'll say things that are in this book that um, you may or may not want to know before reading. Yeah, sure. I think perhaps slightly different tone of a spoiler warning in this book for Wednesday for the reason that I have brought back a non-fiction tome, uh, which is infrequent. If you've been following along with our book of Wednesdays, very, very infrequently do I read nonfiction. Usually do only in the form of biographies when I do do. I do do. But, you know, gotta mix it up. Gotta mix it up every once in a while. Another thing I like to say is that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. <laughs> no, that is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend. Perhaps you rate, subscribe, and comment within iTunes, as that is what helps podcasts grow and flourish and evolve. Hmm, evolve even, yes, like evolution. That will, of course, take us into our last piece of podcast-related business before we hop into this episode, and that is today's sponsor, which is the Flying Spaghetti Monster Fine Italian Eatery. Once again, today's sponsor is the Flying Spaghetti Monster Fine Italian Eatery. Today's book is The God Delusion by a Mr. Richard Dawkins. Yes, that book. I've mentioned in a couple of podcasts previous that uh, this was on my agenda. And uh, when I think about it, it has been on my agenda for quite a while now to read this book. But uh, with the sort of new opening provided by Penn Jillette, who even gets a, men- uh, a mention in this book, actually, uh, I-, I thought it would be the perfect time to finally Hop on board and read this, read this book. So that is what I've done. And brought it back here on a book Wednesday to discuss. Now, uh, I suppose I should give you a little behind the scenes. And uh, the behind the scenes action is that I am sick as a dog. Because that is the saying. Uh, in fact, I'm on my way home from work for the reason that uh, I came in and... I kind of knew almost right when I got up this morning that I wouldn't be able to make it through the whole day. 
And I was correct. So I uh, just got the main heavy lifting sort of out of the way. All my orders done. And then uh, it's, what time is it? it's uh, 11 o'clock now. So <laughs> I was only there from, you know, 8-ish eight, to 11-ish. It does give my brain that sense of a load off of knowing now that this giant stack of orders will not be waiting for me. There may be a stack, but it won't be a giant stack, most likely. Knock on wood. So, you know, there's that. Oh, uh, the reason I'm saying this is that I think maybe I'll just record the show opening, which is what this has been for now, and then uh, tomorrow hop into the actual discussion of this book for the reason that I have a lot to talk about. You know what? I, I'm, I don't know if I should say this, but I may, even when I get home, record this episode while at home. Uh, no, I kind of don't feel like it. I'm sick and tired. Not of anything, just sick and tired. It's just there's so much to talk about. I don't know if I could fit it into one drive to work and one drive home. But <coughs> that's why this recording of opening will help that process a little bit. A little bit. How about I just get some of the preliminaries in now? So we'll consider this the start of the book talk a little bit. A little bit. Things, for example, like the fact that this book is dedicated to Douglas Adams, which I love that fact. The fact that Richard Dawkins is a Douglas Adams fan, and that apparently if they were not friends, they were on speaking terms with one another, and, and that's really a, a cool fact as well. Douglas Adams, if you are unfamiliar, one of my favorite authors in terms of has written one of my favorite books, and that is, of course, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. If you have not read that, please, please, please do so. It is just a triumph. A literary triumph. One of my favorite books. Easy for me to put in my top five of best books, just period, ever. Uh, I was also a fan of his Dirk Gently, what was he called? Holistic Detective? Ooh, difficult title to remember. <laughs> and basically a fan of Douglas Adams in general, who has never been afraid to talk of his uh, atheistic leanings, let's call them. So I think that will be as uh, good a spot as any to end this. Well, not end in the sense that I will not talk more of The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins, but end in the sense that this is the end of the opening and I'm too sick to go on. The show must go on, but it must not necessarily go on right the second. Nobody ever said that. Just at some point. For you, it will seem like seconds. For me, it will seem like many hours. For the reason that I will push this button that says transition, and then stop talking, and then uh, try to get not sick. Wish me luck, time-traveling luck, for the reason that you're listening to this potentially when I'm already well, so I should say thank you for wishing me well to back in time. <laughs> wow. Back in a moment. <laughs> Transition. No preamble. So we've mentioned Douglas Adams, which means my next note. Oh, you know what? On the note of notes, <laughs> uh, normally for an episode, regardless of the daily theme, I will have one page front and back for my notes. For The God Illusion by Richard Dawkins, I have two. So double the normal amount of notes. If that is any indication of the goodness of this book, I don't know. Uh, how would I give my rating? 
I think if you are a religious person, uh, you should read this book, and for that reason, I'll give it a 5 out of 5 for you. For me, who is already an atheist reading this book, it's kind of just like, <laughs> it almost gives you a, I don't want to say a sense of verification, but sure, a sense of verification that the choice you have made to become an atheist, if in fact it was a choice, or you were born that way, I don't know, is just verified. Yeah, it's verified a correct choice. So uh, maybe I'd give it less marks for that. Hmm, how about that? Does that make any sense whatsoever? I don't know. But let's move back into this book. Ten chapters. Uh, the first few are offering proofs, proofs, examples, uh, whatever you want to call it, of why the existence of God is extremely unlikely. Perhaps on that note, we should say that something I admire of atheists is that they're never 100% like, I, I think it's just as crazy to say 100% I am positive there is no God as it is to say 100% positive I am sure there is a God. I think both are equally crazy. Maybe my bias is leaning a little more crazily to the 100% I believe there is a God just for the reason that the sort of burden on proof, burden of proof rather, is not on the proving something is not true, but rather proving something is true, if you see what I mean there. The remainder of the book deals with religion and morality, which was very, very interesting as well. Uh, Mr. Dawkins has four conscious raising points, as he calls them, that he's hoping this book will get across to atheists and religious folks alike, and they are. Number one, uh, atheists can be, in fact, most often are, happy, balanced, moral, and intellectually fulfilled. A absence in the belief of a god does not mean that an atheist is going to be, well, the opposite of all those words. So, sad, unbalanced, immoral, and dumb. No, no. <laughs> intellectually unfulfilled. I guess you would say. In fact, it's uh, it's quite the opposite. I can assure you, from my own uh, sort of personal life experiences, uh, a lot of his arguments from the point of view of <laughs> just religion bad, science good, come in the form of uh, evolution and natural selection. So Darwin's theory of evolution. Now, <coughs> he didn't quite get into theory. Uh, and something that people on the religious side will quite often point out that, oh, it's just a theory. Yeah, it's just a theory. You know what? Gravity's a theory. It doesn't make it any less true. The quote-unquote theory of evolution has so, 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 so very much evidence. Natural selection has been uh, just about as proved as can be and yet still remain a theory. It's just because, again, this is going back to how scientists will never say 100% there is no God. They, without actual 100%, they will always sort of lean on the side of, I don't know if it's caution or so much as the scientific way of doing things, but uh, like to not say, like to not use absolutes, let's say. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to say it. He talks about how uh, natural selection and other scientific theories are much, much, much more superior than the God hypothesis. Because God, uh, you could say, is a scientific hypothesis. The, the, the hypothesis being that the universe and everything in it was created by a supreme being, and that there exists out there this being which can or cannot be proven by science to exist. Huh, interesting. Yet highly, highly unlikely as proofs, as natural selection has offered proofs that are so, so solidly based in science that uh, any other thoughts as far as what else could have caused our evolution are just ridiculous. Other thoughts such as, on the God side of things, intelligent design. I, <laughs> one of the things I, I, I find so incredible about religion and things like intelligent design is that I, I think one of the quickest ways to turn a religious person into a non-religious person is to have them read the Bible, to have them uh, take a lesson in intelligent design. Intelligence definitely being quotes because it is so friggin ridiculous. The, the, <laughs> I was going to say the science behind intelligent design, but there is no science behind intelligent design. It's all sort of conjecture. Conjecture. Some of the, uh, again, we'll put in quotes, proofs that religious people offer that intelligent design is at all likely are just so, so ridiculous that anyone with even a, a halfway rational brain could find, will find difficult to swallow. I, I, I don't see, and, and the fact that this intelligent design has been taught, taught in schools, it sickens me, it sickens me. Uh, that really gets me going. All right. Uh, <laughs> number three, this is an interesting one that I've, I've never put any thought into until I read this, but it makes sense. Uh, children should not be labeled by what their parents' religion is. So uh, you should never use a phrase like the uh, the Muslim baby or the the Christian baby, things of that nature, because a baby or a child has not yet had enough knowledge, enough experiences in order to develop an opinion on what religion they should be or as I'm much more hopeful, what religions they should not be, which is, well, all of them. He, uh, Richard Dawkins, takes this one very, very seriously and sort of likens it to uh, child abuse, even. So, yeah, he's, he's very serious about that, number three. Now, one thing I, I, I like about his, his really sort of anti-stance on this is that this is something that will help future generations if we take the stance of, letting children decide for themselves. If this happens enough, and it happens to a, to a, let's say, sufficient degree, eventually, as is happening already, religion will just sort of fall by the wayside as even children who are not sort of had beat into them religion will discover for themselves that there are much, much more likely scientific, better, scenarios that can be used to describe and explain the universe. Wow. Uh, number four is 
atheists should be proud and non-apologetic. Uh, that's what I like, and I kind of find it interesting that the older I get, the more I have been proud of my atheism, the more I have had difficulty not speaking out about it. So uh, Mr. Dawkins is saying that I should not try to censor myself. I should be allowed to say what I think. As far as atheism, I shouldn't feel bad for saying that religion is dumb and that people who are religious are basically suspending the part of their brain that has logical thought. Uh, just sort of on that note, I, I kind of think it's interesting that the more information I have poured into my brain over my almost 33 years on this globe, the more atheistic I have become. So that, I think, is kind of an interesting thought that more information equals more atheism. Yeah, sort of a one-to-one -one ratio that may or may not be a reliable indicator. He says that atheists, their brains, because of their atheism, are evidencing a healthy and independent mind. So, I don't know, thank you. Okay, so that was the four reasons. Flying through my notes at a, uh, a much better pace than I thought I would be. I'm trying to, though, so uh, perhaps that's why. So uh, now uh, my notes just kind of go point form. Uh, a lot of the chapter or sub-chapter titles were uh, examples of the arguments that religious people have religious people have for the existence of God. Uh, I think one he spent a lot of time on was the argument from design, as it is called. Uh, quite often, religious people will point out that if you look around you, just in nature, um, things that exist will point to the fact that there has been someone, a being, if you will, who has designed them. Now, this thought comes from the fact that these people do not know evolution, or do not know of evolution's ability to explain the seemingly designed things of, say, uh, what is quite often used as an example is an, an eye, the eyeball, that such an incredible organ could not evolve over the years, but rather had to be designed by a being, which is, is quite clearly, if you know, if you know how evolution works, uh, just about anything. In fact, there are, there are quite a number of things within nature that seem designed. Uh, something Richard Dawkins never got into is the other side of the coin. If there is any omnipotent being designing everything in nature, why does quite often things in nature have poor designs? Uh, I think my favorite example is within humans. We use the same hole to both eat, drink, and breathe, which is not a smart design for the reason that hundreds, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands, I'm not sure the exact number, but a shit ton of people over the course of, of the year will uh, choke to death for the reason that our tubes are um, the same. Poorly designed, yes. Or uh, an example that Neil deGrasse Tyson likes to use is that our uh, sexual parts are right next to our poop holes, <laughs> which does not seem like a good design either. I forget how he phrases it. Something like a, uh, a, a fairground right next to a sanitation um, building, <laughs> something along those lines. Another thing that uh, religious people use, I think it's along the same lines, maybe even been in the same chapter, was that 
they point out that things in nature could not have happened by chance. Uh, and that's enough, that, that also stems from not understanding evolution and natural selection. Uh, natural selection is not chance, but it's rather sort of seemingly unlikely things happening um, added to millions of years means that the longer you are measuring the likelihood of these seemingly unlikely things happening, the more likely they are to happen, which is, I guess, one of the reasons why evolution's evolution and natural selection takes so long. So uh, let me see if I can boil this down numbers-wise, and I'm not very good with numbers, but I think I can do it here. Uh, say the odds of something happening are one in a million. Now say that the odds of something happening are one in a million each day, and say that it's been a million years. So each day, the odds of this one in a million thing happening go up. And I, I think perhaps even go up exponentially as well. So that takes out the chance, the seeming chance, of natural selection. Uh, he, Richard Dawkins, uses Occam's razor, which I've always been a big fan of. Uh, my, my logical brain appreciates that. And that is that the simplest explanation is usually the truth. And a omnipotent, omnipresent being is a incredibly complex explanation to uh, evolution, to the beginning of the universe, to anything. <laughs> to use that as an explanation for anything is incredibly complex. Uh, I'm not sure if he, if I read it in this book or somewhere else. I think it might have been in this book, and it has to do with that thought of God being uh, omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent. So he knows everything, he can do anything, he is everywhere, that, that sort of idea. So then you pose this hypothetical question. If God, in his omniscience, sees himself do something in the future, when he reaches that point in the future, can he do something else? Let me uh, let that sink in for a second. If he cannot, do something else, he's no longer omnipotent. If he can do something else, it means his omniscience is faulty, and therefore he's not omnipotent. Ha ha! How about that? Okay, so I, I think since I'm fairly close to work, uh, I can wrap it up now. The other reason that might be a good idea is because I finished the entire first page, front and back, of my notes. So that would indicate to me that the likelihood of me finishing the entire front page of my second page of notes and back huh? on my drive home is a likely scenario as long as I speed through as well as I did there. Congratulations, me. Pat on back. Uh, how about, just because I got a few seconds to kill, get a little audience participation. And if anything can get audience participation, I think it is talking religion. It's one of those things that kind of not supposed to talk about it, and I, I think that's a shame. I think if, I think perhaps one of the reasons you're not supposed to talk about it is because religion is on sort of shaky ground. Uh, religion has had to constantly change in sort of, to sort of match uh, the morals of the time, which I think we'll get into this afternoon, as well as the science of the time, whereas science has never once had to change because of something that uh, religion has said. Uh, Chris Hardwick does a good joke about that, uh, which I do not recall it is. Oh, anyways, audience participation. What do you think of all this religion talk? Where do you come down on? If you are listening to this, 
and our religious do you watch murder me now that is quite often a theme among religious people that hearing people speak out against it causes them to want to murder which I think says something of religious people you can tweet at me I am Jordan underscore Maywin on Twitter or perhaps even email me to the address providing in the closing credits I would love to hear from you that will leave one final thing to say before I head into work and do eight hours of said work, and that is... Oh, my God. It hurt butt. I'm a fool to do your dirty working, working, working. And we're back. We are back! We are back! We are back! We are back! 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 We are back! Back in action! Hello again. Peace be with you and with you. Amen. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Okay, so <clears throat> we're about to talk about religion and morality. And that they are not mutually exclusive. Interesting thought. Something that sort of uh, an argument against this right off the bat I always have is that Religious people will often have the belief that if you are not religious, you are therefore immoral. And I always make the argument that, and I sort of break it down this way, who is the more moral person? The person who does good for the reason that they believe they will be rewarded, or does not do bad for the reason they believe they will be punished, or the person who does good because they want to do good, because it feels good to them to do good. They do not They do not do bad for the reason that they would feel bad if they did bad. Who is the more moral person? <sighs> yeah, so there's, there's an argument, and uh, I'm not sure if Richard Dawkins even used that as an argument. A lot of his talk in this area had to do, uh, at least at first, with uh, the roots of religion and why human beings as a species seem to be very, very religious, to exhibit religion. Uh, and, and that's always kind of a cool thing I have found, or not that I have found, but has been found for me and then explained to me. <laughs> yeah, that's much, much more accurate. And that is that uh, religion is found in all cultures, meaning uh, tribes found in the Amazon that have not had no outside contact with anyone else have had religious beliefs. Ancient Egyptians, that whole culture, Aztecs, you name it, there has never been a human culture found on Earth that did not have aspects of religion. Now, that being said, the aspects they have had have been wildly, wildly different from one another, which uh, always amuses me as well, because can only one of these religions be right? Yes, that is normally the case of religion that if you choose or have thrust upon you a religion, that therefore means your religion is the correct one. And all of these uh, hundreds, if not over the course of time, thousands of different religions have been wrong. What if, ooh, let me throw this out here, what if one of the religions that has come and gone has in fact been the correct one? Yeah, think of that. Uh, so Dawkins's point of view on this is that religion is, as he describes it, an accidental byproduct or a quote-unquote misfire of something useful or something that was once useful. Uh, this part got very, very technical from 
cultural, sociological point of view. Uh, and I hope, my hope always with any book Wednesday is that you read along and read the book with me. This one definitely in particular. So uh, I think perhaps the fact that he explained it so much better than I would be able to here, the fact that I want you to go over there and read it for yourself, maybe I'll just leave that as a little tease. How about uh, he next spoke of, oh, I, I guess kind of what I just touched on, uh, do you need religion to be good? Do your morals come from uh, specifically the Bible? He, he focused most on the Christian religion, <clears throat> the Christian religions more than any other religion. Quite obviously, the answer is no. And let me explain what he explained. Mm-hmm. First off, uh, he uses a similar example, and that is if you ask a religious person, would you uh, murder and rape if you knew God did not exist? Now, any sane, if you can be religion, religious and sane, that is, any sane person would say, no, of course not. That's ridiculous. The other thing he sort of touches on is something called the moral zeitgeist. And this is a very, very interesting idea, <coughs> especially with regards to the Bible. And that is that people who say they get their morals from the Bible are ridiculous for the reason that <laughs> things that it says are okay in the Bible if we were to go by today, not anyone in a, in, a, in a sort of rational thinking manner would consider at all moral. For example, uh, nowadays, we don't uh, stone to death too many people. Don't stone to death women who cheat on their husbands. Yeah, we don't do that. But according to the Bible, it is moral to do so. Hmm, well, I get my morals from the Bible, therefore, why don't we stone women? Come on. We don't, uh, I was going to say we don't persecute homosexuals, but we still do for the reason that the Bible tells us to. Now, luckily, this is something that the moral zeitgeist is more and more telling us is wrong for the reason that it is wrong. So the only people who are still sort of holding to this are people who are still holding to the ideas put forth in the Bible. Friggin' ridiculous. Ridiculous. And if, there's, there's many, many more examples, uh, it turns out I forgot to write down a lot of them, sadly, uh, of things that were quote-unquote moral according to the Bible that nowadays are considered immoral, even by people who are religious. Um, where was I going with that? So the fact, okay, I, I think I know where it's going, the fact that we as a humans, and specifically religious humans, have decided that ideas within the Bible are no longer moral means that it's just a matter of time before ideas that non-religious people are considering moral or immoral will eventually sort of turn the religious folk to our human species way of thinking. So eventually it will happen that uh, homosexual folk are not treated as poorly as they sometimes are now. It's obviously getting better. It's one of those things that uh, I think in a lot of ways you can look at it similar to slavery. People who had slaves thought nothing of it, did not think at the time that it was all immoral. We look back at those people with a sort of disgust that that even happened. And I think uh, it's just a matter of time. And I think it's going to be sooner rather than later that we will look back 
at people who were against gay marriage and think, can you believe people were like that back then? So you can see it happening already, which, which, which pleases me that we're moving in the right direction. At the very least, we're moving in the right direction. The whole idea of treating every human as an equal is a good thing. And the uh, moral zeitgeist of this age is moving more and more into that direction, despite what is in the Bible. Despite it. Yeah. Okay, his next point, Mr. Richard Dawkins, is that religion uh, subverts science. It f fosters fanaticism and encourages bigotry. So we just spoke of bigotry there with regards to religious people being anti-gay marriage. So I won't uh, touch on that one anymore. Fosters fanaticism. Yes. <laughs> Uh, which I think I'll get to more in a moment. Uh, subvert science. Uh, that's an interesting one that I would never really think of. Quite often scientists will take that sort of sometimes usual atheistic thought of, uh, you know what, let them have their religion. Who is it hurting? Which I think is something scientists have to, and atheists, have to get over. We have to start saying, no, you are wrong. Your ideas are wrong and I will fight you over those ideas. No more just sort of pussyfooting around is my thought when it comes to atheism. No more, no more just sitting back and letting things slide for the reason that it's quote-unquote not hurting anyone, for the reason that it is hurting. It is hurting a lot, in fact, which takes us to the Foster's fanaticism. Now, you're going to use, or religious people are going to use the little old lady who goes to church every Sunday and gets a lot of enjoyment for that. Yes? Yes. Then, what I would use as my example of a religious person is the uh, folk who flew planes into the World Trade Center, into the Twin Towers on 9-11, which they did for religious reasons. Okay? So this little old lady's enjoyment of her Sundays is it any reason that we should ever have people fly into buildings and kill themselves for the same reason? No! Let the old little lady do a crossword puzzle. Let her uh, surf the internet. Let's teach her how to explore the world through the internet. Which is something I always kind of wonder when I'm at. Uh, this is totally off topic, but uh, hey, my podcast and I do what I want to. I kind of think when I'm an old man and, like, in an old folks' home or something like that, as long as I have the internet, I'll still be able to sort of explore the world, maybe get an Oculus Rift when I'm an old man. Uh, and that thought pleases me, so I'm not so scared to be locked up in a home as long as I have access to the web, that kind of idea. Anyway, it's totally off topic. Give her that, the old lady. Why don't you? And then take away her religion and take away the people who fly planes into buildings' religion and we'll all be happier. How about that for a thought? The amount of war, the amount of deaths caused in the name of religion, religious violence far, far outnumber those of reasons for any other wars and, and murder. How about that for a statistic that I cannot back up because um, I didn't write down any numbers? Huh? Anyways, uh, the basic gist is that more war, more, let's just say, human beings murdering other human beings on large scales has been done in the name of religion than for any other reason. The other reasons, I guess, uh, are going to be land, 
fight over land, fight over oil. Like in the Middle East, that's quite often what people point these wars because of oil. Sure, that that to me just sort of boils down to money. So for me, two reasons and two reasons just about only that any wars ever happen are for money and for religion, and the religion happens more often than the war. How, how about that for just a very very simple breakdown? Break it down. Break down religion and stop doing it, please. Whew. Okay, folks, uh, that was the last of my notes. Uh, what did you friggin' think of that episode? If you have followed along to very many of my podcast episodes, they're quite often pretty lighthearted, pretty joking around. Occasionally, probably, I don't know, uh, I'm just gonna guess at an average of maybe 1 in 10 episodes, I will have some sort of anti-religious uh, rant be it 60 seconds, be it 5 minutes. Uh, It it doesn't happen every time by any means, just because the subjects I cover are not always covering religion. So, you know, there's that. This, (laughs) This episode was definitely my longest and most vocal of religious rants, and I hope you enjoyed it. My, my greatest hope is that you read the books like this. Uh, there's a movie out there that I spoke of on a movie Monday. I forget what it was called. Uh, it, was, it had the word zeitgeist in it, which... Was it the religious zeitgeist? It's available on YouTube. You know what I'll try to do? I will try to find out what it is called and uh, post a link to both my talk of it as well as perhaps the movie itself right here. To do that is a lot of extra work, though, so uh, it may not have happened. But uh, I will try, I will try, just because, uh, you know what, I will try extra hard, for the reason that this is a subject that I'm very uh, passionate about. My passion of the Antichrist, if you will. Passion of the Antichrist. That may be the title of this episode. I kind of like it. Interesting-ish. Interesting. Okay, anyways, uh, (laughs) I think if ever... This episode may have the most likely, maybe the most likely in which I get an actual little feedback. <laughs> it may not come in a form that is nice, but hey, I love you all. Let's let's just say it like that. The fact that a talk involving religion, and that's all this really was, was a talk, is going to garner death threats, is much, much, uh, much more likely to come from religious people than atheists. I think says a further something of religion. Huh? Huh? Okay, folks, uh, I will say, as I do at the end of every episode, and I think this one in particular warrants a it's nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address, mailwood.jordan at gmail.com. And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. 
Wait till our lips have met Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine The best is yet to come Come the day you're mine Live long and prosper.